Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Introducing Pega Megoya, Expression of Love, new translations of a selection of guzzles from Painandlal Goya. Today's podcast begins with the recitation of Painandlal's guzzle in Persian, followed by a new English transcreation, the result of a unique collaboration between Dr. Fatima Fayaz and Dr. Nadra Khan of Lahore University of Management Sciences, Damanpreet Singh, writer and graduate student, and Inikor of Sikri. Followed by a discussion between Daman and Inni about the beauty of the guzzle and the transcreation process. چون ماه دو هفته رو نمایی چه شود؟ امشب مه من اگر بیایی چه شود؟ این جمله جهان اسیر زلفت گشته. یک لحظه اگر گره گشایی چه شود؟ عالم همه گشته است بی تو تاریک خورشید صفت اگر برایی چه شود یک لحظه بیا و در چشمم بنشین در دید نشسته دل ربایی چه شود این هندوی خاولت که به رویت شیداست بفروشی اگر به نقد خدایی چه شود در دید توی و من به هر کوجویا از پرده غیب رونمایی چه شود؟ گویاست به هر طرف سراغت جویا گرگم شده راه راه نمایی چه شود؟ What would happen if you showed your face like the full moon? What would happen if you came tonight, my moon? The whole world is imprisoned by your tresses. What would happen if you untangled your tresses for a moment? There is darkness in the world without you. What would happen if you rose like the sun? Come for a moment and reside in my eyes forever. What would happen if you resided in my eyes and stole my heart? This mole which dotes on your countenance. What would, for God's sake, happen if you sold it for cash? You are in my eyes, and I search for you everywhere. What would happen if you lifted this secret veil? Goya searches for you everywhere. What would happen if you showed the right path to the lost? Fateji, this is any core in conversation with Damanpreet Singh on Ghazal number 25 from Painandla's collection, Dibane Goya. Welcome, Daman. I am so looking forward to continuing our conversation on these ghazals. And I know this one is very close to your heart because while working on it, I could sense and the comments which you had on it. I know this is going to be rather, rather special. So welcome, Daman. Yeah, I'm excited to continue continue talking with you. So uh, Daman, and this one, the repeated word in this guzzle is, is what? Because I don't want to butcher the word. So tell me. Yeah, so the repeated 
phrase in this puzzle is in the form of a question. Um, which we have translated largely as what would happen, mm -hmm. um, implying mystery, implying the possibility of something to come that isn't quite known, implying um, a little bit of playfulness, as we'll see at some points. Um, but overall, the literal meaning is what would happen. I know the you know the phrase is what would happen is usually asked in a rhetorical or hypothetical situation by someone who's you know weighing up the possibilities of such an action like what would it be mm -hmm. whereas you know I was thinking that what if we use the phrase what will happen and then I thought about will is really a statement saying something about a future happening mm -hmm. and here so it doesn't have that mysterious element that you were talking about, mm -hmm. right? Let's get to the first uh, couplet, and I'm sure our listeners will be able to pick on what that repeated phrase, you know, how it is being played in, particularly in the first couplet. What would happen if you showed your face like the full moon? What would happen if you came tonight, my moon? So, Daman, you know, in Gazalate, mm -hmm. um, we spoke at length about the symbolisms of the moon and the sun in Persian literature. And just recapping, I mean, the moon being the metaphor for some, something or some, actually it's someone, so extraordinary. Um, so in the first, I feel in the first um, line of this couplet, Goya is raising the physical attributes of love of Guru Gobind Singh Sab to that of the full moon, not half a moon, because in Persian literature is also half moon, you know, but here this is a full moon. Mm -hmm. And then in the second line, what I found very interesting is that he addresses his beloved as my moon. Mm -hmm. So that to me, you know, ah. Uh, here yeah, was, you know, the heart fluttering and all sorts of things happening. So if I, I mean, I don't know, just if I had to rephrase that sentence, it would be something like this. What would happen if you came to me tonight, my extraordinary being, the one who encompasses every thought, every idea, every longing, every passion of mine? So what would happen? And that's how I look at this, this, particularly the second line, being the first one where the full moon, you know, the radiance of the moon, the one that is, this is, this is the lover, not the lover from, the moon is not cold in Persian poetry. The moon is, is, some, is also, um, there's a spirituality in the moon, the enlightenment that comes from the moon. That is also being referred to here. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, um, I should say when, since this is audio only, when any read the second line, both of us smiled so much, <laughs> <laughs> which is what would happen if you came tonight, my moon. I think exactly what you're saying is the power of this couplet. I will say... Um, as we will see as we continue, this is a very intimate ghazal, 
you know, at some level, it feels like, you know, it can't be read out loud. It's very, very intimate. It's very, um, it's conveying, I think, an aspect of Nandlal's relationship with the Guru that we haven't yet seen in the guzzles that we've done together in this podcast. Um, and yeah, I think I would add, so the, the power of the power of moving from the imagery of the full moon, which of course is something that is, you know, month after month, we wait for the full moon. We just had a full moon this week. Um, it's a special day. It's a bright day, right? We all feel the, the luminous quality of the moon when it's in its full state. Um, so I think that is just a really powerful image. Of course, as you're saying, classically has been used um, to invoke one's beloved in Persian poetry um, and in other poetic traditions as well. And then the switch from the full moon, which everyone knows and everyone waits for and everyone loves, to my moon, which is very intimate, is a personal a personal gesture that Nandalal is now making to his beloved. And I think that switch is very powerful. Mm, yes. <clears throat> I mean, in some of my poetry, I have addressed it you are my moon to my moon so uh so that's why this was like oh i think i have a glimpse into what he's feeling so let's move to the uh, second couplet the whole world is imprisoned by your tresses what would happen if you untangled your tresses for a moment the vivid imagery of the flowing tresses you know what do you make of it? The intimacy. I mean, you know, I, actually, when I'm reading it, I want to, I'm yearning to put my fingers on those presses and just feel that softness and, you know, untangle your tresses. I know we use the word tresses because hair is so, I think hair is a little colder than tresses. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, them? Yeah, I think so. Maybe I have two thoughts here. I think I would want to put on the table the question again, which we've discussed in the past, which is the metaphorical and the literal. So, mm -hmm. as, you know, for for listeners who might not have listened to the first podcast, for example, right, Bainanilal is writing in the court of Guru Gobind Singh. He is largely writing per poetry in Persian. Those two things are important because he is, as we've already seen with the moon imagery, adopting and appropriating imagery that is um, used often and is part of the grammar of Persian poetry, including the moon, um, but also including the, met the personification of the divine, which happens all the time in Sufi poetry, right? So is he? So I think the the play that we see in all of the guzzles to some extent, and I think is really in high relief here, in a way that we haven't quite seen in the ones we've talked about together, is is he talking about Guru Gobind Singh's physical hair, or is he talking about the beloved as metaphor, and using the Sufi, you know, the powerful Sufi trope of talking about the divine as if they were a physical presence. I think we you know we've talked about. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Any, because we've talked about this in the past. Um, as we were doing the translations together, I think one can, you know, I think it could be both. 
Um, so I think that's that would be something that I'm a little curious about. Yeah, and and that what I I looked at that and I'm saying, ooh, is he using the physical presence of the guru to talk about something larger and a play as well? Um, and I I've done something similar, and I'm saying I'm by no means I'm by blood standard by that, but it is a play is when you want to talk about the one you love. Uh, at a larger, at a much vaster place. And so what are the things that you use? And, and the first it was, um, you know, the moon, the face. So now from the face, we've gone to the hair, the physical attributes. What I found was what very interesting was imprisoned by your tresses. So there's beauty, but there's also, there's an, and then the second one was untangled. Mm -hmm. So there's a play over there in these two words as well, I see, you know, the imprisonment and the entanglement as well as very much there. I Personally, for me, I think it is both. Mm -hmm. However, one feels comfortable in their own journey to take a look at it in that light. Because if someone did not know Painanulal's relationship to the guru, this these would be read in a very different light. Mm -hmm. So that openness, I mean, it's, it's an incredible technique to be able to use it in that format and present it in that format where that even when we translate it today and we hear it in Persian today, the power is the same, the message is the same. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and it conveying the same thing because, you know, love never changes. Mm -hmm. and, and these are the intimacies of love. What was in, we could say, in the 18th century, the way people wrote about love and what people are writing about love. And there is no difference. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we... Um, because there are the, these words are the words which I have used. Mm -hmm. So that to me is that beauty of love being eternal. Mm -hmm. Love, you know, you it's it's that feeling that um, that action oriented where the lover for the beloved. We all have our journeys. How close we get to the beloved and all that what it takes. Um, or how what we feel, and we like to record it. I think poets more like to record when there's a certain dimension in your relationship changes, then there is that element, oh, I didn't know, I didn't feel this a year ago, or I didn't feel this six months ago, but I'm feeling it now. Mm -hmm. So at least for me, it's very important to record that. Yeah, I know we've trans transgressed, but... So the whole world is imprisoned by your tresses. What would happen if you untangled your tresses for a moment? I think that there's, I would add, I would want to add one or one or two more things, maybe one and a half things, but there is, I think, so there's, there's, yeah, okay, two things that I think are kind of interesting. The whole world, which is a, a literal translation, or in, so we would actually, we could actually even say this whole world, which maybe is even more powerful. Mm -hmm. But the whole world or this whole world is imprisoned, imprisoned by your tresses. Again, we have this play of a, there's a universality here, but then there's also, you know, is he using the, this whole world 
to talk about his own world, you know, as we do, as like melodramatic poets still do, right? So is that part, is that it? Or is he actually telling us something about the relationship of the guru to the, this world, this realm? Both, I think probably both. And then again, what would happen if you untangled your tresses for a moment? You know, throughout the guzzles that we've looked at, there has been this, one of the, one of the powerful one of the powerful things I think that we see throughout his guzzles is that there's there's this emphasis on the fleeting, right? There's this emphasis on, you know, I just want one glimpse and that would be enough. What if you just did this for one moment? You know, what would that look like? What would that do? There is this, this sense of restraint and longing that I think um, we've been seeing throughout that I think this this. Um, second line of this couplet really encapsulates. Mm. So we move to the third couplet. There is darkness in the world without you. What would happen if you rose like the sun? Wow. So in Persian literature, the sun is idealized as that life-giving force. That's that universal cosmic power, the symbol for that. And it's associated with the god of light, Mitra. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, but, uh, you know, what would happen if you, there is darkness in the world without you. And I, when I was reading that, you know, one of the, I think one of the bhats in, in their Savaiyas wrote, Gur bin Ghor Andhar, that without Guru, there is utter darkness. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, that came really, you know, it just said this is what, it, it just, I associated it with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, um, but there is darkness in the world without you. What would happen if you rose like the sun? What would happen? The life-giving force to everything that, uh, you know, what would happen, Daman? So what's interesting here for me, so in, yeah, so I think, right, so the, the move from the moon to the sun. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're in this couplet, and again, um, thinking a little bit about the causal form, where each couplet really is a complete thought unto itself. So here we have now moved securely into the realm of the world, right? So we've moved away from the very, very um, kind of evocative in intimacy of the previous couplets. And now it's, there is, so it is, and that's a literal translation in terms of the, um, the tense of this, this, line, this first line, which is the simple present. It's the definitive statement. There is darkness, right? So whereas we have in the repeating line, what would happen, there is this sense of mystery, the sense of possibility. That is, I think, an important contrast to the simple present declarative nature of the first line of this couplet, where it is that there actually is dark. That is the state of the world. It is dark without you. And what would happen if you rose like the sun, which of course, you know, sets, etc. So I think here we, again, we have a, a sense of, um, a sense of something fleeting, a sense of something that, you know, one wants to simply get a glimpse of or simply experience briefly. So now we move to the fourth couplet, Daman. Come for a moment and reside in my eyes forever. What would happen 
if you resided in my eyes and stole my heart. So, but the, there is in, in here before I go, I don't want to talk too much about this one because I really want you to focus on the Persian words mm -hmm. on this one because they are so exquisite and I know our listeners would enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. There's two words that are somewhat interesting here. So the first I'll say is Benishin and Nishaste. So, to, so what we've translated as reside can also mean to sit, to sit, um, to kind of, um, we really, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, both wanted to, con so there's a, the question here for us was how do we convey the sense of there is, a desire for intimacy, right? There's a desire for the beloved to, to come into one, to come into one's heart. Um, but it's not simply come, it's not simply, um, you know, be in my heart, but it's actually like settle down in my heart and live, reside in it, right? So there is a, I think that that word is, con those meanings are conveyed in the original Persian. And that was uh, something that we wanted to try to get in our translation. So we settled with reside, precisely for this reason, because it suggests, you know, something somewhat more permanent, but also something that, you know, suggests a comfort, suggests an intimacy. So that's that's an interesting word here. And then, of course, the other one is Dilrubai, which is, um, you know, one who snatches uh, a heart, this one who snatches one's heart, or um, that would be the literal translation. And it's a word that I think is somewhat playful um, because, you know, if we, if we think about this couplet closely, you know, he's asking the beloved, asking the guru to come and reside in his eyes, which is that which allows him to see this moon and, you know, angel faced beloved, that which allows him to see the tresses that have imprisoned him or imprisoned the world rather. Um, and then he's also, you know, asking him to steal his heart. So, you know, I, I've always been kind of curious, you know, what is this connection between the eye and the heart? Because we've seen in previous, in previous guzzles we've looked at, he's drawn a distinction between, you know, the seminary and the wine house, the mind and the heart. And here mm -hmm. we have the eye and the heart as somewhat kind of intimate companions in allowing him to gain a glimpse of, of the guru. So I, th I thought that was kind of interesting here. So when you reside in someone's eyes, you see them everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. If you st stole my heart, means you are resounding within me. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing you everywhere. And then, and within me, I am feeling you or hearing you. You know, it's, it's that that beat in my heart is that beat. Mm -hmm. If you stole my heart, so me, my heart that every pulse is beating for you. Mm -hmm. And whatever I'm seeing, I'm seeing you. Mm -hmm. So it's that completion of the what the lover says, you know, in, in poetry is wherever, and even Guru, Tuhi, 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 wherever I see, I see you, you, and you. Mm -hmm. So that's that, you know, when you were asking, what does that mean? That was coming to me. Mm -hmm. You know, wherever I see, I see you, you, and only you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You know, this actually, this particular couplet also reminds me of Amir Khusro's Ghazals. And this particular one, O Khusro, the river of love, runs in strange directions. One who jumps into it drowns. And one who drowns gets across. Mm-hmm. So that heart and that eyes, it is, you know, that that completion which Kusro um, was talking about is that completion which I saw um, in this particular ghazal that um, you want that beloved to reside in your eyes and see, I'm just going to say him, see him everywhere, feel him everywhere, the heart beats for him, whatever you hear resounding within. So that's what it is for me. Mm-hmm. So should we move on to the next couplet? Yes. Okay, so that is couplet number five, which you are going to have to unpack this one for for all of us because there is way too much and I totally don't get it until you had explained it and Nadra and Fatima had done quite a good job explaining that as well. So the fifth couplet is, the mole which dotes on your countenance, what would for God's sake, happen if you sold it for cash. So, Daman, first, the mole which dotes on your countenance. Speak to us about that one first. Yeah, so I think the, so the, the, first, the first thing is that we're once again in this couplet back to the physical attributes of the beloved. And now we're back to the face and the beauty, you know, the mole, which has, you know, enchanted poets <laughs> to this day. Um, we see that imagery. And what is the decision we made in our translation here is to take out what the the word that qualifies the mole in the original, which is Hindu, which suggests a couple of different things and is one of those things again that would would have been you know probably quite readily apparent to readers of Bainan's Law's poetry during his time you know his contemporaries uh, but so Hindu here suggests um, darkness and color so he's describing a dark mole by using the word Hindu because the word Hindu means and suggests in Persian both one who is from the region now that we now refer to as the Indian subcontinent that would have been referred to as Hend in Persian and and still is. Um, so we're not, it's not suggestive of what we understand as Hinduism today, but actually the region of the Indian subcontinent um, and is suggestive of a dark color because of the comparative the relative darkness of complexion of those from the Indian subcontinent who were enslaved at some point by the Persians. So there was a a slave trade between the subcontinent and Persia, the Persian empire. Um, No one should quote me on, all of that is true, but don't ask me for more historical detail at this point. Um, But he he is suggesting Um, You know, that's the reason why Hindu suggests darkness. And that's the reason why we use, in Persian, it's the word Hindu to suggest 
someone from the Indian subcontinent. So it's a dark mall. You know, we could have perhaps said this dark mall. We decided for the sake of, you know, the reader's comprehension to just say this mall because that already suggests a very powerful image, um, which dotes on your countenance. Um, and then the second line I actually would be kind of, I, I'm not sure I understand what would for God's sake happen if you sold it for cash. The one thing I would say before I kind of would be curious to hear um, your thoughts, Any, is that we have notably used the word God in this, in this line, which we often don't do. Um, the reason we use the word God here is because in the original, he is using the word Khuda. Um, and just as a general practice in our translations, um, you know, when Nanthlal has referred to the divine, um, we've tried to translate it as literally as possible, right? So when the when the divine comes as the beloved, we see the divine as the beloved. Um, when the divine is you is described using different attributes, we translate that attribute. And here he's literally saying Khuda. Um, so we've used the word God. Um yeah, so but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this couplet and the second line in particular. I think there was um, one of one of my verses I wrote that um, all I long for is to be a mole on your on your face, mm -hmm. and then it is because the mole is with you always. And, the, you know, um, and I've said, fortunate is the mole, for it gets to feel your warmth. Fortunate is the mole, for it gets to, um, you know, for the mist of the eyes, for it, for the mist of the eyes falls on it. You know, there's something which I've written about the mole. So for me, the mole is very symbolic, that you want to be that tiny, tiny piece speck on the beloved's cheek, right? And the value of that is, for a lover, is enormous. It really is enormous. To want to actually your ego, there is nothing of that ego. It is that you're willing to be that mole. You want to be that tiny speck, nothing else, not to, on your beloved's cheek. And what would, for God's sake, I think for us, I looked at it, for God's sake, because that's our parlance even now that we, I mean, now that we use. And I thought it was a lot more impactful mm -hmm. instead of, uh, because maybe a reader would not understand what Kadal was, even if we had translated it as God. So I thought that was good that we did, for God's sake. What would happen if you sold it for cash? I mean, I looked at it, what would happen if my beloved sold that mole, me, for cash? Mm -hmm. Because in the first line, I'm saying uh, the mole which dotes on your countenance, you know, that I'm actually associating myself with that mole. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've zeroed in. I've said, I want, you know, that that little tiny speck, I want to be a part of that. And that is precious to me. Mm -hmm. But if you sold that, what would it do to me? But it is, uh, this probably for me is the most intimate line. And maybe it could be because 
I've written written so much on the mall, my, you know, myself, not knowing Painantlal had uh, written that, but I never associated with the darkness. I just associated the mole as being close to my, on my beloved's cheek and very envious of the mole. Yeah. It was more that, that you're there all the time and I'm so far away. And what would I do? Can I not be that mole? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, right. So that's that's a and that's a way I haven't really thought of this couplet, um, right? So I think the yeah the Hindu the 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 in at one point we played with saying this Indian slave like mo it doesn't work because you know no one that's not something that no no one I, well not no one but most people including me you know I'm talking about myself really here if I were to read that phrase, that would mean nothing to me. You know, it would just raise lots of questions more than anything else. Um, but I think, right, it is, I think maybe just a physical description of more than anything else. It's just a physical description of them all. Um, and, the, and it's dark color. But I'm kind of curious in the second line of this couplet, um, the for God's sake, I'm kind of reading it now as also somewhat um, exasperated but playful maybe is how I'm reading it like both exasperated and like kind of playful because if you know yeah I don't know if I have a complete thought about this but there is a way in which you know he's referring to the the guru and say you know what does it mean for the guru to sell something for god's sake I mean that's like a nonsensical statement, right 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 so I'm kind of curious, you know, I'm kind of, I, I don't know if I'm just overthinking it at this point, but I'm kind of um, into that interpretation of it also. Right. And and I also, when I was reading it, I'm saying, did the guru have a mole on his face? Yeah, right. Right. That first, I mean, that, you know, because we are so wanting to know what the guru looked like. Is this a tiny glimpse? Mm-hmm. Is, did he just say that? Mm-hmm. Did he see that? And then he is writing that. I don't know. I mean, that to me came, oh, did Guru have a mole? I wonder, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, and the mind does, gold wonders in many different directions and how you take it. Yeah, this one was, uh, I think, for me, because of the mole, this was mm-hmm. a very special couplet. Mm-hmm. So we move to the sixth one, um, Daman. You are in my eyes. And I search for you everywhere. What would happen if you lifted the secret veil? You know, that secret veil, we, we've talked in spirituality, is, is and, and it's between the lover and the beloved. What if you lifted that? That's that symbolism between the spirit and matter. When that veil is lifted, it's the veil of separation that I'm separate from you. It's that veil of duality that prevents us from seeing and believing and feeling all as one. It's only when that veil is lifted, I feel that we can experience a timelessness, limitlessness, state of existence. Mm-hmm. But you're in my eyes and I search for you everywhere. There's an acknowledgement somewhere there. And what would happen if you lifted that the secret veil? Mm-hmm. It seems to me that this couplet is thinking about also kind of the the 
So there's a contra- there's a contradiction that we've seen throughout Bainandalal's work, which is that that which the 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 knowledge, which is I don't think that's the right word, or the the intuitive knowledge, let's say, that the that the divine or the beloved is everywhere. But then also this like inability to always feel that or this like deep longing to glimpse it for a moment, right? This brief glimpse and then like a longing that follows that, um, you know, doubt and pain, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's different ways to narrate this contradiction, but also, you know, this is maybe the contradiction. We, we see this everywhere in Gurbani also. Um, and then in previous guzzles, we've seen it as the seminary and the wine house, right? You know, the where where does one go to look for the connection? And ultimately, you know, then, then another line that he has at some point is, you know, that is something about his heart. Um, I'm not going to remember exactly how we translated it, but something to the effect of the heart being the keeper of divine secrets. And, yes. you know, yes. it's about coming into the heart um, rather than going, you know, looking for the the external, you know, reading the books or whatever, uh, which is not to, you know, not to be anti-intellectual or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not what forbid we do that. <laughs> that's not what I mean. But you know, so so that I think is again again, right? You're in my eyes. And again, here the tense is maybe important because it is the simple present. You know, it is a statement. You are in my eyes. There isn't the sense of doubt or isn't the sense of is this true? Um, but it is that you're in my eyes, but I search for you everywhere. Both of those things are in the simple present tense, and they are both happening at the same time Mm -hmm. um and then of course we have the conditional question what would happen if you lifted the veil the secret veil um yeah so there is that um searching for the beloved who is already within right Mm -hmm. something to that nature Mm-hmm. Uh, because the veil is within the, I mean, I'm, you are in my eyes, I search for you everywhere. What would happen if you lifted the secret veil? Mm. So should we move to the last one? Yeah. Okay. So this is the seventh couplet, the last one. Goya searches for you everywhere. What would happen if you showed the right path to the lost? So amazingly beautiful, Daman. I mean, we spent quite a bit of time on this particular couplet because of the play of his name, the way it's pronounced. So I'm I'm going to leave that to you, Daman, to just share this with us. Yeah, yeah. So Goya, of course, is Nandala's pen name, but in the in Persian means one who speaks. Um, or one who utters something, but let's say one who speaks. Um, and part of the play, and this this is something that we could actually do in every guzzle, because, you know, 
again, if you're a Persian speaker, you know that Goya is both his name, but also means one who speaks. So, um, you know, if we were to go back and translate the last couplets where the pen name shows up, um, there are times when translating Goya in its literal might even change the meaning in of the couplet. And that's something, again, you know, that just gets lost in translation, that in the English, it's not possible to have that play and that very subtle play that is just readily apparent to, to the to the Persian listener or the Persian speaking listener um, or reader. But Guya, um, one who speaks, searches for you everywhere. The play in the original Persian is that Juya, which is um, suggesting the searching, rhymes with Guya. So it's the one who speaks, it's the one who searches or something like that, right? So there's, there's a kind of parallel form that we were really unable to convey in the English while also wanting to remain faithful to the guzzle form where the pen name shows up in the last line, in the last couplet. Um, so we settled on going with just the pen name. Um, but in the Persian, I think it's, again, I think points to the, the richness of the original. Um, in addition to like the difficulties of translation and the compromises that have to be made when one translates. Um, but it didn't, it, we, we didn't quite get, we couldn't quite get to a point where we could convey both things in the English. So we had to choose one. Mm. So Goya searches for you everywhere or the one who, the one who searches for you everywhere. How would we put it if we went literal, that line? Maybe we would say, and this is, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud, but maybe we would say, you know, the one who speaks is the one who searches for you everywhere, or the one who speaks, yeah, I think it would be something like either the one who speaks searches for you everywhere, or the one who speaks is the one who searches for you everywhere or mm. yeah I, I would be curious also to hear kind of what um Nadra and Fatima would would say to for this line but that's I think something to that effect might work mm. and you know we played with like adding you know at one point I think we had one who speaks parentheses Goya the poet searches for searches for you everywhere I think is how we had thought about doing it but that you know that doesn't convey the like the the subtlety of the rhyming language in the original right mm. right yeah and I love that what would happen if you showed the right path to the lost he ends with that mm-hmm <laughs> So in Tamil, in this entire ghazal, I felt, um, you know, a deep longing, a yearning, and an intimacy. I mean, it's very, um, but also that Goya is quite comfortable in his relationship. Mm-hmm. There, Because only if one is comfortable in one's relationship, uh, or one feels, you know, there's always a feeling of the lover, that there is a that the lover has a hug over the beloved, because the love, it's not... The, the, it's the love that has the hug, that 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 thing. It's not never the individual. It's because I love you so much, I have the right to even ask you this. 
mm-hmm. that what would happen mm-hmm. you know, to that. And I think that playfulness and that relationship and that level of intimacy can only come when there is his complete surrender to his love. Right. Because otherwise you wouldn't ask that. It's only when you're very secure uh, in your love. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter what, whether it's reciprocated or not. That's never for the lover. That's never the, the thing. It is because the entire journey is about your love. Mm-hmm. It's what you are feeling. I mean, reciprocating, that's an added thing. But the lover never lets, or at least I don't, allows anyone to judge their love or say anything to their love because that's paramount for them because that's that transformation which they go through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so for me, when I was reading this, it was like, wow. You know, Goya is really, I mean, it is, I'm, I'm reminded of Puran Singh's, I think I, I said it in one of the guzzles, that he came to the Guru's court and like uh, B, he just stayed because the honey was there, you know, or, or the moth or something it was. And that's what Puran Singh was trying to say was that once he came, the nectar was so sweet that the he just stayed. There was no going back to anything. Yeah, and that's I felt very much that coming through in this puzzle. I have two thoughts. I think in reaction. So the first I think is like so. It seems to me that this puzzle can be read as you use the word surrender, right? So I, it's a in some ways this puzzle and the the what you describe as a security or a sense of comfort or a sense of, um, right, being comfortable in one's relationship to the beloved. This, it seems to me that this might be a, a powerful explanation of what Nandlal might mean by bandagi, right? Mm-hmm. Idea of reverence bondage. Mm-hmm. But as we, you know, if, if, peop- if listeners um, listen to the first guzzle, it's not, necessary to but you know there's a in the very first couplet of the very first puzzle that he writes he talks about coming into existence and um being in the state of reverence bondage um as as a coming into existence and you know of course we struggled with how to translate bandagi which the most literal translation might be slavery but that doesn't convey and we, you know we really struggled with conveying what exactly does it mean because in our contemporary understanding slavery is not is suggestive of being owned by by being owned by someone as property as you know it's a it's a it's a labor relation, it's a property relation. And, you know, that, of course, is not what he means. So that translation doesn't work. So we settled on reverence bondage, um, which maybe that's closer, maybe it's not. You know, people can um, let us know what they think. Um, but there is, I think, this, the, the, the contradiction or the main, or the what constitutes the state of reverence bondage or bandagi is this longing, deep love or reverence, but also this sense of like 
intimacy and security, right? Like there's mm-hmm. clearly a power that's derived from reverence bondage. It's not simply a um, a state of submission. It's something more complicated than that. Um, so and it seems to me that like this scuzzle in its intimacy, and it, you know, as I said in the beginning, it almost feels like you know you can't read it out loud. Um, I think it, it, part of it is because of this, right? It's playful, and parts of it are, you know, seem like secrets, mm. you know, notes that one would pass to someone that mm. you know it either is entirely meant for that the, for the receiver of the note. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like you're getting a glimpse. You know, it's like you are actually peeking into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and and it feels. Oh, do I want to go there? I mean, this is, and and so you treat it. Even, I mean, we've treated it with great reverence. Mm -hmm. We haven't, you know, we haven't been flippant about it at all. We've Mm -hmm. been very careful with each word. And, uh, you know, there there was a great sense amongst the four of us that, you know, there were many moments of, ah, wow. Mm -hmm. And, the beauty of the language and that thought was so powerful. Never for any moment did we think of it any other way. Any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the second thought that is really also a half or quarter formed thought or some or whatever um, is the question of reciprocity. I'm kind of curious about this question. Because often we'll you we'll often we'll think about um, having been graced mm-hmm. as you know one doesn't do one isn't in a state of bandhagi because you get rewards or because you know if you check off the list you'll get a reward and you'll feel a connection and you've done it and you've succeeded. Um, it's something else. Right. Um, and, you know, where does it come from and what does it lead to, I guess, are like the, some of the questions um, that one could ask. So, yeah, you know, this is a very, um, it's not a coherent thought, but, you know, again, thinking about the way in which in this puzzle, you know, you're in my eyes and I search for you everywhere. You know, there's this desire for a glimpse and that's all, you know, that if there is any reciprocity desire, it's this fleeting, brief, it would be really nice if I got it, but it's okay if I don't, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, because that's the state of a lover. The submission is completely there, is, is there, and it is like, it's the love that transforms you. And just and you're so grateful that this love has entered you because it's allowed you to experience something you would have never experienced mm-hmm. and has made you vast and has changed you. So it is like any I'm so grateful for what I am experiencing that to even ask you for something more feels um like like I'm I'm taking liberties because you I've already received so much. Mm-hmm. Because what it's that love within me that has poured out for you, that is there. Um because if 
the beloved wasn't there, this love would have not happened. So you're just grateful that that you are able to feel this for the beloved, for the individual, and your love has made you grow. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what love is supposed to do? Is actually that is love when love transforms you and makes you vast and enables you to experience something you would not have experienced on your own. That is a relationship. And that's the power of love. And, you know, yes, can it be experienced in a human level? Many times, Mm -hmm. at many instances, there is. But it's that continuously feeling that that's where we struggle with. Mm-hmm. But definitely there are moments where um, that love is so powerful that say, I would have never experienced this without you. Mm-hmm. And to acknowledge it. And here, Painandlal, I feel, is also acknowledging that, that love, mm-hmm. and recognizing the power of love. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the end of a beautiful 40, 45 minutes of talking about someone we both love and revere. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a beautiful way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, and hopefully I'm you know, excited as always to hear comments and feedback from, from listeners and questions and you know other things that, that was bad. <laughs> Take that out. Take that out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited to, um, as always, also hear feedback and comments from our listeners. It's been really great to know that people, it's res- this is resonating with people and um, that people are joining us on this journey. Right. You know, be, I mean, you can leave a comment on Twitter or Facebook, but you can also send us an email at info at sikri.org and we'll get the email. So if you choose to do the email route, info at sikri, S-I-K-H-R-I dot org. So thank you, Daman, for another really delightful, delightful conversation. And until next time, we wish our listeners, um, should we say Khudahafs? Should we say Guru Fateh? Should we say see you later? What do we say? You know? <laughs> um, thank you, Daman. And yeah, thank you thank to you. our listeners. Guru Fateh. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.